history tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 40th episode of the History Goes Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And tonight, we have a special treat for all of you. We have a special guest co-host all the way from Australia, Freya Porter. How are you, Freya? I'm good. Hello. Well, I told you all on the last podcast that I had received this fabulous email from this young lady and that she had not just sent us a little email telling us that she really enjoyed the show, but she suggested a location, which is the one that we're doing tonight. Port Arthur in Australia. And she didn't just suggest the site. She actually gave us a bit about the history and a lot about the hauntings that have gone on there. So we're looking forward to having her help share some of that with us this evening. Before we get into that, we do want to uh, point everybody in the direction of our website. That's historygoesbump.com. And uh, there you can find out everything you want to know about the show, where you can follow us on social media. And You can sign up for the newsletter, or maybe we should start saying that it's joining our email list or our mailing list. Now, if you are a part of the Spooktacular crew, or you are signed up for the email newsletter or our mailing list, you already had a heads up that we were having a special co-host tonight. So maybe y'all want to go ahead and join either one of those two things so that you can get some special information as well. And I guarantee when we're doing our road trip, I'm trying to work out all the technological stuff, we're probably going to try to do some Google Hangouts on locations while we're doing that. So the only way I can let people know that we're doing it is to send out an email to let you know. So you probably want to sign up for the mailing list, which you can do at the website. Yeah, unless you want to stay home and not go on the road with us, that is. Uh, That'd be kind of boring. I know, poor things. They would miss out on so much. (laughs) Denise, if they want to send us any feedback or maybe a mini book like Freya did, where can they write us? So if you want to write a mini novella and send it to us, you can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. And we're giving Freya a lot of grief about that because we have a little inside information that she gets teased about that occasionally. <laughs> or more than yeah. on occasion. We also quickly want to thank, uh, we got a couple of donations in for the show. And let me just say that I emailed Levi, who had sent us the first donation that we got, and it's a recurring monthly one. And I was kind of losing hope that we could be a listener-supported show. I really didn't want to have to do the whole going to ads and sponsors and all that other stuff. I really ads want ads are icky. Yeah, and I don't like listening to them myself. I fast-forward through them on podcasts. So we were like, I don't know if we're ever going to be listener-supported. Well, Levi broke the ice. We thank him very much for that. And you'll have a mug coming to you in June, Levi. And also Dan has set up a recurring donation with us as well. So thank you to both of those gentlemen for that. And we also want to... Thank Juju Bean for your review over at iTunes. Greatly appreciate your warm and wonderful comments over there about that. Before we get into talking about Port Arthur, and one of the reasons why this is really cool that we're doing this is we have discussed the quarantine station on a previous podcast. So we're kind of familiar a little bit with the history of Australia. Basically, the poor continent got started as a penal colony. 
not not really a great way to get started in history, that's for sure. We have criminals. We will send them to what we know now as paradise. <laughs> exactly. And Port Arthur was one of those areas that was chosen to have one of the penal colonies there. And of course, Freya brought this to our attention. Before we talk about all that, wanted to ask Freya a little bit about herself. Why don't you let the listeners uh, know who you are? I'm Freya. I'm Welsh Australian. So I came here when I was seven which explains the weird accent that isn't Australian. All the Australian <laughs> listeners are going, that's not Australian. Who is this imposter? But yeah, I went to Port Arthur when I was 10, sorry, 12, in 2010, uh, when I was in year seven on a school trip. So it was a pretty school, cool school trip. No kidding. Um, I remember once they took us to a farm when I was a kid and we went to a couple museums, but we never went to like Tasmania. <laughs> Or haunted <laughs> yeah. places. I like that was the first year at my new school that we went there and I was blown away. I was like, Are we really going there? Are we really going there? And everybody was like, Of course. It was a rich kid's school. So they were all like used to it by now. And I was <laughs> completely blown away. I was like, But yeah, it was an interesting experience as as I have written to you about in a huge book. well and what's really cool now you say you don't sound australian but i'm detecting a little bit of australian accent in there are you denise just a touch Uh, at the tail end yeah i i definitely it does sound australian to me but then again i i would know like she did say her australian listener so we might be listening with an american ear all I have to say is it's way better than my Australian accent. <laughs> that I would agree with 100%. You might get a Jersey leprechaun, you know, who knows when <laughs> Diane starts doing accents, what we're going to end up with. It's legitimate. That's all we need to know. That's very cool. I have the stamp of approval. I'm legitimate now. <laughs> you're legitimate. So yeah. uh, does your sister know that you're joining us and creeping out a bunch of listeners? Yes, she does. I told her um, she's 13. So okay. I um I told her, you know, that I was on the podcast uh, that I was on the podcast last time. You kind of shouted out, and I played her that, and she was like, "I'm not creeped out. It's just weird." And like, <laughs> she's thirteen, so she yeah, she she doesn't want to be scared, <laughs> and I don't think she is scared. She's much more brave than me. If like if if it was between me, her, and a haunted house, she would be the one going into the haunted house. Now that's fascinating. How interesting. She gets a little weirded out about listening to the podcast, but she doesn't mind actually going into the physical location. <laughs> I don't think she would. I think she just like if you say, Kara, I dare you, she'd be going, Gone. Oh, we wouldn't even have to double dog dare her? I don't think so. Oh wow. Okay. <laughs> Well, I tell you, some of the stories that we're going to share tonight creep me out. So we'll, we'll see how, how well we do tonight. I'm like, these stories are freaky. <laughs> Why don't we go ahead and get started? If you would like to support the show, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash history goes bump. Or perhaps you just want to make a one-time donation. Click the donate button on our website at historygoesbump.com. Welcome to this moment in oddity history. They are known as the Blue Fugates of Troublesome Creek. The name Fugate derives from an ancestor named Martin Fugate who settled in eastern Kentucky. 
He was an orphan from France, and he carried a unique gene that has been passed down for six generations. That genetic trait is blue skin. At first, doctors thought the blue skin was caused by heart disease or discolored blood. Eventually, a nurse named Ruth Pendergrass and a hematologist named Madison Cowen made an in-depth study of the family. The genetic trait was a disease that came to be known as methemoglobin anemia. Sufferers of this disease have more methemoglobin than iron in their blood. Red blood cells are not able to release as much oxygen to tissues. Tissue hypoxia results. Benjamin Stacy, who was born in 1973, is the last known descendant of Martin Fugate. His blue skin faded as he got older, and he now appears normal. It is believed that the condition is rarely seen anymore because the gene pool is dispersed and is not concentrated in one area any longer. And it also helps that most families do not interbreed. The Fugates did. Human Smurfs certainly are odd. Turn out the lights. The party's just getting started. This day in history. On this day, April 14th in 1860, The Pony Express arrived for the first time in San Francisco. The Pony Express was established in St. Joseph, Missouri in 1860 as a way to deliver mail and messages to the West Coast. A series of 157 relay stations were set up along the route. The route carried a man on horseback through the Great Plains, the Rocky Mountains, and the Sierra Nevada. Each rider rode for 75 miles per day. The stations were set up about 10 miles apart, which is the distance a horse could gallop before tiring. The rider would arrive at the station, receive a fresh horse, and continue on his journey. To save on extra weight, Pony Express riders could only weigh a maximum of 125 pounds. The horse would carry not only the rider but 20 pounds of mail, a revolver, a water pack, a horn to alert the relay station that a fresh horse was needed, and a Bible. On April 3, 1860, the first westbound Pony Express rider left St. Joseph, Missouri. Ten days later, the mail arrived in San Francisco. Only one of the letters that was carried still exists today. The Pony Express stopped its run in October of 1861. The history. Goes bump podcast. Port Arthur is part of a World Heritage Site featuring former Australian jail sites, and it is an open-air museum. Australia has a harsh history since it was established as a place for Britain to send her convicts. Many of the prisoners from Ireland's Kelmanham Jail were sent to Australia as well. Port Arthur Prison became the stop for Britain's worst convicts. Such a harsh place would be a good breeding ground for things that go bump in the night, just from its penal history alone. But this area has an even more tragic story. It was the site of a massacre in 1996. No wonder Port Arthur is considered to be one of the most haunted locations in the world. There you go, Denise. Another one of those most haunted locations. But in the case of Port Arthur, I'm not making fun of it. I think it really might be. I think so too. Twelve thousand years ago, the oceans were rising due to the melt-off from the ice age. This rising of the oceans changed the geography of Australia and cut off one area of the continent that we know today as Tasmania. 
the Aboriginal people who had lived there were cut off from the original Aboriginal people, and they developed uniquely, both culturally and physically. They became known as Tasmanians, and by the time Europeans arrived to settle, the Tasmanians had nine distinct ethnic groups. The British originally settled the area in 1803. Within 30 years, and this is kind of how it happened for our Native Americans here in America as well, only 300 of the Tasmanians still survived, having dwindled from a population that some have estimated at 10,000. It's amazing. The survivors were relocated to Flinders Island. And then we have Port Arthur, which is in Tasmania. And I thought, Freya, you could share a little bit about... Uh, you know, where it's located and what it was meant to be to begin with. Yeah, Port Arthur is kind of located near Hobart. When I sent you an email, I thought it was a bit closer, but it's not. It's actually hard, like an hour or two out of Hobart. Yeah, it was established as a, t- as a timber station. It was a penal colony. It's set on like a place where there's water all around it. So it's basically like a mini island except it's connected to the mainland by a tiny little piece of land. So it's very, like, well-protected naturally. So I guess it was a perfect place to have a colony. Sure, it would be very hard. It reminds us, and a lot of people do compare it to Alcatraz near San Francisco, where they had a prison here in America. And one of the things that it shares in common with Alcatraz is that water that surrounds Port Arthur. What's in that water? Yeah, the sharks. <laughs> very infested by sharks, actually. Of course. It's Australia. <laughs> <laughs> That's one. You know, we want to go down and visit Australia one day. And uh, Denise is a diver, and I love to snorkel. And it's like, oh, it'd be so cool to go see the Great Barrier Reef and everything. But I'm like, there's sharks all over. I don't know. Well, yeah, we might I, eat bro- I, I eat live on bro- a river. My river has bull sharks. Oh, you're kidding. A river has sharks? Oh, Yeah, they, they swim in as babies, and then they grow up, and they can't get back out, so they just stay here. Yikes. <laughs> Do you go in the water much at your home? <laughs> um, actually, like, on Saturday, we went in the water in boats and stuff. And, did you stick you your know, feet little in? Kitties. We dipped the little kitties in the water. You did. They were fine. And you still have they all your toes. Yeah, I still have all my toes. (laughs) Well, you know, we can't give you too much grief about having sharks in your rivers because instead of sharks here, we have alligators. Oh, I heard. (laughs) We don't get in our rivers here either because it's like, uh, that might not be a rock you're stepping on at the bottom of the riverbed. Well, I kind of want to get in the rivers to go with the manatees. Only if it's clear water and you can see the bottom. They're still alligators. I guess she just wants to see it before it eats her. Now, this you said it was only connected by this little piece of land And they really made sure that they secured that with guards and stuff, right? Yeah, they had guards and hungry dogs and whatever. (laughs) Uh, The the guards themselves were pretty hungry too, apparently, because they tried to shoot at at an escaping prisoner once because he was dressed as a kangaroo and they were hungry. This is a fascinating story. Uh, What was that (laughs) prisoner's name? George Billy Hunt. Yes, and here's the fascinating thing. Okay, he dresses as a kangaroo. Where in the world did he get a kangaroo outfit? I have no idea. They're not like it's not like they were hopping around too much. It was a prison. I don't yeah, know. How he from got Amazon. That's the only thing I could think of. Is that somehow they had killed a kangaroo and skinned it or something? Because I'm like, how how would you do that? And the key thing here is that which he just told us all is that they were hungry and shooting it for food. So they thought it was the real deal. Yeah. He like just dressed up inside the kangaroo and started hopping. Almost got there. If it was not for those like hungry 
hungry people. The thing that's crazy about that now, I have never seen a kangaroo in person when you're just driving in Australia. I've heard those be hopping, you know, down the road, sort of like we might see a deer or something here in America, but they hop pretty high and pretty far. And so it's, it's amazing that a, a person dressed up as a kangaroo could even, even that part that that would mistake them. So he must have been very good at it. I hope he was. He was planning to get away with it. Well, he didn't get away with it. The guards did capture him. And do you know what punishment they gave him? I actually don't. 150 lashes. Oh, my gosh. So I hope it was worth it. (laughs) Uh, He was like, it was worth it. I I guess to have that moment of freedom. Look at me. I'm free. I'm a kangaroo. (laughs) 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 Speaking of kangaroo, have you ever tried any kangaroo meat? Oh, yeah. I have kangaroo on the barbecue. It's like it's leaner and it's better for you than beef or pork and stuff. It's actually a leaner meat and it's really good. My dad doesn't like it so much, but my sister and I love it. And my sister hates that she loves it. (laughs) It's like like, um, I've had rabbit here before and it was hard to think about that I was eating a little bunny. But it was really good. Kangaroo on the barbie. You know, it sounds mm-hmm. similar in consistency to our buffalo here. It's leaner than cow meat and oh, that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, I don't know why it's leaner, but it's it, it's really good. I can tell so, you yeah. probably why it's leaner because they're doing all that hopping around that uh, George Billy Hunt thought he was going to do there too. They're burning <laughs> yeah. off all their fat. I can like kind of like empathize with the guards because kangaroo meat is pretty cool. If I if I had a chance for kangaroo meat, I'd take it. <laughs> Well, there you go. So Freya's down hunting kangaroo when she's not on the History Goes Bump podcast. <laughs> and sticking her toes in shark-infested rivers. She's an adventure. I heard a bird in the background, did I not? Oh, it's the crow. Go away. It's a crow? Yeah, we have the, like, they've brought in some new measures in Australian schools that they have um, lids, proper, like, really hard lids on all of the all of the bins in schools so all the crows have started migrating to the neighborhoods and like now they're just here and everywhere and it's awful i'm sorry we could almost break into the raven poem we could do an edgar Allan poe <laughs> quick shout out here <laughs> the ravens have joined us is is the raven saying nevermore <laughs> nevermore oh. It's saying you'll never record a podcast here. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it just adds some extra wonderfulness to the background. Well, the really cool thing is, just like Alcatraz, Port Arthur was almost impossible to escape from, as George found out. There uh, There was one prisoner that did manage to get away, and his name was Martin Cash. And one of the times that he escaped, because he did escape twice, he took two other prisoners with him. And uh, this Cash was a bush ranger, which meant that he had these survival skills so he could live out in the bush. And he would commit, you know, things like armed robbery while he was out there. And what he did in order to let people know about this is he found a ghostwriter and had this ghostwriter write about his adventures in a book, The Adventures of Martin Cash, which was published in 1870. Oh, wow. So he was just like, uh, I think there was, I can't remember, but I think one or two or maybe three prisoners managed to get away from Alcatraz. So similar kind of thing. Yeah, well, I mean, there's not much when you have something like that that's so easy to guard because Alcatraz was completely surrounded by water. And then you have Port Arthur mostly surrounded by water. But 
those waters, even if they got in to swim. Now, I know at Alcatraz, the water, also hypothermia is um, a, a fear there because of the, the coldness. How What's the temperature of the water near um, Port Arthur in Tasmania? In Tasmania, like we went in June, which is our winter. And it was freezing down there. There was there was some snow. We went to a mountain and there was loads of snow. I mean, you know, we, we were all bundled up in our coats. So it was actually pretty cold. So I think in Port Arthur, especially in the winter and the autumn, it's probably pretty cold there too, but probably not as cold as Alcatraz. Okay, but well, probably still another similarity because I know... On a side note, we do a, an international camp in Colorado here in the U.S., and a lot of our Australian brothers and sisters come, and the, one of the traditions is to jump into one of our mountain lakes, and um, I like to see in their faces when they come, when they break the surface of the water. It's pretty pretty fantastic. <laughs> it's pretty, do you break ice? It's oh not gosh. it's not ice, but it, it's a it's, it's like close. glacier runoff. So two of the things we go to a waterfall that when it hits you, you can't breathe. It's so cold. So we always put the Australians in the waterfall. Well, everybody, but the Australians are the most fun to watch. We put them in the, <laughs> oh the waterfall, and then we jump into Grand Lake, which is a mountain lake. So it's that same icy cold water. So I'm like I'm from Wales, and at at five years old, I was like jumping in the sea in January. I just can't imagine doing that now. I look back on that and I go, How did I do that? Yeah, you must have been crazy because I bet that was cold. Well, they call it a polar bear plunge here to give you an idea of how cold it is. Oh my gosh. Well, you know, Uh, these prisoners that they had at Port Arthur, they weren't just your typical prisoners. No, they were mostly reoffending prisoners or prisoners who, yeah, had murderers. They had, you know, thieves, proper thieves and all sorts of stuff, but also nine-year-old boys and stuff like that. So So how did the boys and the kids get into Port Arthur? I mean, that seems like a pretty severe punishment for kids. Yeah, um, mostly it was theft. In Australia, they they had a lot of reoffenses because people, you know, kind of desperate. They were in an unfamiliar place. It was kind kind of more familiar to them after seven years, fourteen years of imprisonment. But it was still harsh for them. And uh, a lot of these boys may, might have been caught up in gangs. Mm-hmm. So. That's how it was with, um, in Ireland, they had the Kilmainham jail. We did a podcast on that and it was the same thing. And it was a lot of the theft was, you know, bread and food, things Mm -hmm. of that nature. They had a special juvenile prison for those kids, didn't they? Yeah. Point pure. Which is not spelled right. (laughs) No, it isn't. I liked how when you told me about that, it's P-U-E-R. I'm like, how did they get the E-R mixed up there? I know, right? I, I, I saw that in my textbook at school and I was like, you've done something. You messed up. <laughs> I don't know who did it, but you messed up. It's pronounced pure, but uh, it's, it was a separate prison, like more up on the mainland. But they did all the same things as the normal prisoners did. I thought that that was fascinating, too. You said that they had to work just as hard as the adults did. They weren't given any yeah. breaks. Yeah, they, they weren't given like, oh, you can have the kind of easier work. They still like built houses and stuff. A lot of the, uh, a lot of the convicts were used, you know, to build the church, to build the houses, to build all sorts of stuff. They had a shipyard, so you know they'd be building a lot of stuff. So these kids would probably be, you know, lugging around all these things. And I don't know about you, but I don't really want all these convicts, you know, getting all muscled with all this stuff. If there's a murderer running around, I don't really want him to be, you know, gaining muscles and possibly. 
Throw it out again. That's new, how we feel new, here. A too. new cure. We'll set them, put them in couches and feed them bonbons until <laughs> they just get fat and lazy. Yeah, I mean that's what they do here in prison nowadays. You know, they that's all they have to do is work out and stuff. So then they get out of jail and they're these hulking brutes. And the other thing I thought about is, you know, if they're doing the same work as the adults, they're probably hanging out with the adults, which I can't imagine is a real good scenario. First of all, they're going to be a bad influence. And second of all, you know, we don't know if these are the worst of the worst convicts. Yeah. One can imagine what kind of things they have on their mind. Well, raising the next generation, too, to be even worse than the first. Yeah, there's oh, there's so many stories about kids, like, getting out or kids being released or kids just doing stuff in the in the prisons that mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. Well, like you were talking about, some of the stuff that they did at Port Arthur, it wasn't, you know, just your typical... Uh-huh. I mean, nowadays, they, they used to make license plates. I don't know if they do that anymore. But Port Arthur was major industry there. They had, like you mentioned, they had a shipbuilding yard. They made yeah. shoes there. They made bricks. They even had a flour mill. Yeah, of they, course, had, they had everything there. You'd it mentioned was probably very good for Tasmania's infrastructure. Absolutely. They basically you basically have slaves it. doing all this for you. Great. Well, you know, it's interesting that you said that because one of the reasons why they stopped building the ships there in Port Arthur is because the private shipbuilders started noticing uh, this competition that we're getting from the government. We can't compete because they didn't have to pay their workers. (laughs) So it does make it harder. And and the cool thing about the ships that they built there is it wasn't like they were just building, you know, little rowboats or something. They built like 15 large ships. One of them, I believe I'd read something about it lasted for 40 years. So they weren't just, I mean, they built real quality stuff there. Yeah, they had quality. That's right. (laughs) They probably got beat if they didn't have quality. So I guess they had to put that out. Now in 1848, they built another prison at the location. Did you want to tell everybody a little bit about that one? Uh, Um, In 1848, they built the separate prison, which is different from a lot of things that Australia had seen before because it was a separate prison which used kind of psychological punishment rather than uh, than corporal. Instead of them, you know, getting the physical punishment, they were punishing them psychologically. That was pretty harsh stuff. Yeah, it caused insanity. It was pretty bad. Well, they've always said that psychological torture or even like abuse in a relationship, the psychological is always much worse than a physical type abuse or torture. Yeah. Uh, did you know that they'd actually built the asylum right next to the, to the separate prison just so it would be easier to cart the prisoners from the separate prison to the asylum? Yeah, you think that it would occur to them that um, maybe what we're doing isn't working here because now we've had to build this asylum next door and everybody's yeah, getting think. shipped over there. Yeah. <laughs> Unless maybe they wanted to drive them insane. I don't know, but it seems like they'd be harder to control if they're a little you know, nuts. Or it could be that if they drove them insane, they never had to release them back to society. I don't know if they could ever get out like the other prisoners, but if they were criminally insane, they're going to tend to be able to keep them a little bit easier. One of the things that they would do to the prisoners that caused them to, um, you know, some of the psychological stuff is if you were a good prisoner, it was kind of like when you have good kids and bad kids, you give the good kids treats, the bad kids don't get the treats. So normally everybody gets bread and water. But if you were a good prisoner, they might throw in a little bit of tea and sugar to add yeah. some extra there. The stick and the carrot kind of thing. Exactly. And there was something else that this prison did that we've talked about on our other podcast. And it was a system that they implemented there. Yeah, they basically made it silent the entire like the entire time you couldn't talk to anybody so that you kind of 
it was supposed to kind of so you could reflect on your sins and kind of reflect on God and kind of reflect on your sins. But it was still like psychologically damaging to a lot of people. You know, I kind of have to giggle because there's a whole section of like monks and nuns that do that. I mean, they go crazy too. I'm not sure. I don't know if I'll be struck down for saying that. But that that was the the other kind of weird thing. And now also with being just silent, unlike the nuns and, and the monks that do that um these prisoners were also hooded so they couldn't see the light or anything like that either correct yeah they um we actually went into the separate prison which was so spooky and we actually saw the hood that they wore and it was like you could like there was a tiny little mouth hole for breathing and there was two tiny little eye holes for kind of it's kind of like those plastic masks you see at Halloween mm. where they've got tiny little eye holes that you can't really see out of. So it was kind of like that. Were they made out of cloth or leather? Um, I think they were mostly made out of cloth because they were easy. That was easier to manufacture. Sure. But yeah, but they it looked pretty heavy. I didn't put it on. So, <laughs> I don't blame you. you I wouldn't did want you to have an on. opportunity to put it on if you wanted to? I actually can't remember. I think I think they had it on a dummy. Um, and I'm actually mortally afraid of mannequins and dummies. <laughs> that kind of things you. like animatronics. So I I just I kind of stepped back on that one. Oh no, you fear like animatronics so you don't like Disney? <laughs> <laughs> Better not I went take her on the, the... I, I went I went to Disneyland Paris. Once and they had the like the it's a small world, and I liked that because it was all like these little people, and I was happy with that. But like you not know, Pirates like, of the Caribbean. Yeah. Sorry. Did you like Pirates of the Caribbean, or was that too much? I didn't actually go to that. I don't think it was around when I went. I went when I was seven okay. in two thousand five. Oh, okay. Yeah. So well, it's I, a small I, world. I, is one of our classic. Yeah, no, I went I'm to the sorry. Parisian one. Little audio animatronic children. Now that freaks me out. (laughs) (laughs) And they all keep singing the same song. How do you know they're not real children nailed to the ground? (laughs) I'm never going there again. (laughs) Diane. Of course, one of the other things that they did to the prisoners, as you mentioned, Freya, they wanted them to reflect on their sins. So they built a church and they had to go there, right? Yeah. And I I went into the church and went into the stalls, like the kind of, it literally were, they literally were stalls each one stall per prisoner, like little tiny thing. So, so they, they, didn't, could only they didn't sit the, there in the congregation. They all had to go into like little prisons in the church to listen to the sermon. Yeah. And you could only see like the priest or the person taking the sermon um, and you couldn't see anybody else. So it was just that one more level of, you know, separation. Wow. <laughs> That's unbelievable. <laughs> they, took it, they took separation very, very seriously. It's no wonder that these people went insane because that is one thing when you cut people off from that kind of human contact and interaction, it really does affect people that way. Well, I know here here in America, like solitary confinement is like if you're already pretty bad prisoner and then you do something that's even worse while you're incarcerated, they put you into solitary confinement. But that like drives them crazy just for like not very long. I don't know how long they put people into solitary, but it's to get them to shape up because it's it's so horrendous being there for a short time. I can't imagine that being basically your, your entire prison time. No wonder they went nuts. Yeah, they went, there was the one dark cell. They had a couple like completely dark cells because the other cells, they had some light. Um, they were given like rope to kind of unwind. So that was their job um, to unwind this rope. In the dark cell, you had nothing. You had no light. You mm. had no sound. You had no 
um, nothing to do. You, I think you'd get fed sometimes, but you get 30 days or something oh, in wow. that complete, like, cut off from everything. And that that was what really, like, that one was the one that would have, like, the highest rate of driving people insane. I no can, wonder. I can, Yeah, no wonder. I can definitely see that being... I couldn't do it for two hours, much less 30 yeah. days. Well, and when they put these people over at the asylum, the treatment they got was, of course, not top of the line. It was very rudimentary, and most of the patients just continued to suffer from their depression or whatever mental instability they had. Also... They were still shipping convicts in, but not as much. And the convicts that were already there were getting older and sickly and everything. And because the population was aging so much, it shut down a lot of the industry there. And the government, I think, kind of looked at it and went, you know, there's really no point in keeping this open. So they did close it in 1877. There's a place there that is where all the dead were buried. What's the name of that place? Oh, the Isle of the Dead. <laughs> And uh, how many were buried there? 1,646 graves were recorded, but there could have been more. Wow. There, could, there, there could have been way more. Only 180 were marked, like and like all the rest of them, they just kind of threw them in and just went, all right, yeah, cover them with dirt, they're fine. Yeah, it was. It, it, it's a really creepy island. We actually got to go on the island. That oh, was interesting. So it's, it's kind of a, its own separate little location then. Yeah, it's, uh, it's very creepy. <laughs> it's a very creepy island, as you, obviously. What's creepy about it is that, like, they have like a separate thing for they have a separate area for where all the marked graves are. So, for the rest of the island, you could literally be stepping on someone's grave oh. the entire way through, but you don't know that, and you don't know how, where it is. You have no idea. One of my friends actually creeped me out. I don't know if he remembers, but. One of my friends actually creeped me out saying, you know what? A zombie could come up and like grab your ankle right now. So the entire time I was like, oh, my tiptoes going, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> She's like, I'm going to have my own Night of the Living Dead right now. <laughs> oh, lovely. <laughs> well, the cool thing is after it got closed, tourists started flocking to the place. I thought that that was very interesting because, you know, it's one thing nowadays for us to start we go to museums and old historic locations and everything. But basically, right after it closed in the 1870s, people were going there to check it out. Yeah, it was a uh, that was another way for it to make money. I guess it was the new way for it to make money because sure. it it boomed. Yeah, it. I I guess in that time period, I mean, they were the ones who liked watching public hangings. So I guess that it, it didn't make too much nonsensical. Wasn't too nonsensical. You know, that's a great point, because that's one thing that, as we've been going through a lot of these histories that are back in the 1800s and, you know, even in the 1700s, executions were very public, and I can't imagine watching that nowadays, but... Yeah, I remember from your um, Kilmingham Jail, mm -hmm. the Kilmingham Jail one, hearing about, like, he was in the yard, and they were some, like, sometimes public. Oh, they used to have picnics and stuff, take picnics over here, and, like, I couldn't eat my lunch and watch someone be hanged. You know what's interesting yeah. about you talking about the picnics? This takes me back to the Civil War. And here in America, when the Civil War was going, a lot of people would go to the battlefields and take their family as if they were going to the park for a picnic. Really? And I can't remember. There was even one battle. When we get into doing some of these Civil War battlefields, maybe we'll hit upon it. There was one where the people had to run for their lives because one of the armies was in retreat and coming right for them. 
oh my gosh oh yeah just lovely day out kids we're just gonna go watch some people kill <laughs> some each people other that's shoot fine each other yeah, yeah it's like well gosh. and even like the public executions you know from different things why would you want to watch that i i could see if you're the family member of the person who they harmed or whatever maybe just for closure but to just go for sport or for a picnic or whatever it's like what is wrong with people sometimes? Well, the government decided that they wanted to auction off some of the buildings, and when they did that, they started to deteriorate pretty bad. So in 1916, there was a scenery preservation board that was formed, and they took over management of it, and they tried to take care of it. They didn't do as good of a job as they should have, and so in the 1970s, the National Parks and Wildlife Service um, came in, and they started to restore it, clean it up. They opened up the museums. And you can tell us more about this, Freya, since you've been there. But I, I know that they had like a model prison you can see. The uh, guard tower, the church, and some of the main penitentiary are open for tours. Yeah, they um, they had actually quite a lot of stuff up. But they don't like, like for them, restoration is the last option because of the historic like significance of most of the buildings. Like the... The prison doesn't have doesn't have a roof. Oh, the okay. model prison doesn't have a roof. It doesn't really need a roof for you to know that it's a that it's a prison. But that was kind of like their motto when they were redoing all this place. It was like, don't do more than you need to because it needs to protect the the historic significance of the entire building. So like there was some scaffolding up on the prison when we went there because they were just making sure the structure didn't fall down and everybody because it, it it was really old. Like sure. it's quite structurally unsound, but did, did, at the same time, it was really cool. Yeah, did they have pictures that showed like what it would have looked like back when it had like when it was in, in operation? Did they have those there so you could kind of see like this is the structure? Because we noticed that in Europe, a lot of times you would see the structure or the the ruins, but then they would have the picture of what it looked like during its its time. Did they do that at, at Port Arthur I at all? I think they did. Yeah, I think they had you know those lovely kind of illustrations mm -hmm. of buildings and stuff they had kind of that so okay. it was more you know not quite photos but kind of pretty illustrations of what it would have looked like oh, okay so they were actually really nice it's actually a beautiful area and it's a beautiful sight it's so it's so calm and peaceful in the daytime in the nighttime it's not so peaceful <laughs> <laughs> but dun, dun, dun. <laughs> well and when i was reading some of the stuff it, it sounded like they put in a lot of park areas so that there's a lot of grass and stuff yeah there is they have a couple paths but a lot of it is you know grass a lot of beautiful places they have trees growing around the dock where you can go on you know boat tours to the isle of the dead well it sounds like you, know. it. you might be joined by you know somebody you don't want to be joined by but hey yeah. bring an extra for two and then you end up with three or four or who knows mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well there was one day when the beauty that you're talking about there uh was not going on there and that was the day that they had the massacre that happened there. Yeah. Um, did you want to tell was, everybody a little bit about that? On the 28th of April, 1996, a guy called Martin Bryant went on a killing spree in the ground. Uh, he murdered 35 people, including three children and one toddler, and uh, injured 24 more, including himself, but he survived. And he's... He's never going to be let out of prison, thank God. Many of the murders occurred around the entrance of the site, so there's a beautiful memorial garden there. And it actually led to the national ban on firearms in Australia. So it led to tougher tougher laws on that. Uh, I think it was the last gun-related mass murder 
in Australia, which, you know, it, that's pretty good for, uh, the, you know, one good thing has come out of it that we don't have any more of that going to happen. Hopefully, hopefully that's going to be the last of it. But the site workers never talk about it. And it's a really, it's a really grim part. But what I found interesting when I went there is that there's no, there was no reports of um, people from that, from that murder, people who died in that killing spree coming back as ghosts. Like there's no oh, reports sure. of paranormal stuff around them, which, you know, I'm, I'm happy about. Like if they found peace, then sure. that's, that's good for them. I yeah, want to ask you real families. quickly about your um, justice system there, because he did get uh, 35 life sentences. So basically he got one life sentence for each of the lives that he took. And then they added on an extra 1,035 years without parole. <laughs> so I was wondering, because these were life sentences for a mass murder like this, do you guys have the death penalty there in Australia? Uh, we don't. And it's quite a topical like it's kind of a topical thing right now because I don't know if you know in Bali right now we've got two people who are part of a drug smuggling ring, two Australians who are on death row and they've been trying to like struggle to keep them off death row. Mm. But we've got this mass murderer in Australia who's serving a thousand like like years of prison for killing people for going on a killing spree. And you know, like sometimes you wonder is that like is that worth it? I don't know. I'm I'm not really on either side of the death penalty argument, but it's kind of like, where are you going to put this guy who ruined so many people's lives, including a toddler? Mm-hmm. killed a three-year-old. Yeah, I wondered because I got the feeling since he got the 35 life sentences that uh, it's very similar to Canada. I like to listen to a lot of true crime and one of the guys that I listen to, his podcast comes out of Canada and there's so many times that he talks about these horrible crimes that have been committed and then the person, the most they can give them is like 25 years. So at least he got life sentences here with no parole. Yeah. In Canada, yeah. I think the most they can give them is 25 years and then they do get parole. Oh and I just thought, my goodness, what do you have to do? I think I'm one of those people, I agree with the death penalty in certain cases. I think it, you know, you don't want to use it too too much, but I think there are specific cases. And this one would be perfect for that because some of the details about this, first of all, the first two people that he killed, he went to a place called the Seascape Bed and Breakfast and he killed the owners of that place. And the reason why he did that is because he felt like they had caused his father had been depressed and committed suicide. And he thought that the reason his dad did that was because he wanted to buy this bed and breakfast and these people bought it instead. And so he blamed him for that. So he goes there, he kills those two innocent people. Mm -hmm. Then he heads over to Port Arthur and he sits down and has a meal. I think there's a place there called the Broad Arrow Cafe. Yeah, that's the entrance. And it's we, we actually went there. Okay. They probably have a memorial there, I'm sure. Yeah, that's where the memorial garden is. Okay. Because what he did is he sits down, he has a meal. He gets done eating. He sets up a video camera. He goes back to the back of the cafe. He pulls out, he had a Colt AR-15 SP-1 carbine with him. And he just starts shooting randomly. And just at that moment, he kills 12 people and wounds 10 others. So that's already bad enough. He leaves there. He goes over to a shop that's nearby He kills eight people there and wounds two. He changes magazines. He gets in his car. He drives down the road. He kills four more people and wounds six others. And then here is the most despicable thing. And this is what Frey was talking about when it comes to the Mm -hmm. toddler. He comes upon this mother and she has two children. And she's holding one of them, who I'm going to assume is the toddler. Mm -hmm. He kills her, kills the, the child that she's holding. The other child that's with her takes off running. He chases her down and kills her. I mean, that's just yeah. the most despicable thing. Yeah, see, I would have no problem putting somebody like him to death. So maybe I'm cold and inhumane, but I, 
I would have no problem or torturing him. That would be okay by me too. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, was, I don't mean to uh, offend anybody out there, but I just... But he wasn't done there. He carjacks a BMW that has four people inside, kills all four of them. Then he stops another car, kills the female occupant in there and takes the guy that's with her and has him put in the trunk or as you guys probably call it, the boot of the BMW. <laughs> the boot. <laughs> takes him back to the bed and breakfast. And then, of course, they have the hostage standoff there, and he does end up killing the hostage before he sets the place on fire because he thinks he's going to escape and all the chaos, but they do manage to catch him. And I wanted to ask you, Freya, how did the people who live there, how did this affect them? I, th- I think it was just a shock for them, um, and they still won't talk about it. They don't, it's, it's, it's not that they don't want to acknowledge that these people, you know, that this happened to these people. It's more that it was a really awful time for them and it was a really awful moment in history for for Australia and for Tasmania. It's kind of like we pay our respects to them but we don't we, we don't like to talk about it. So we want to kind of move into the hauntings. One can imagine that a history as harsh penal colony in the site of a massacre would lead to hauntings and it does. In 1840, Private Robert Young drowned near Jetty Cabin and tourists report seeing a man with straight black hair and a ruffled white shirt in or near the cabin. And so we just want to move on with some of the hauntings that you know about and some of your own um, maybe personal experience on this. Yeah, I thought before we get into talking about Freya's personal experience that she could share some of the other stories that come out. I mean, there's a ton of them. um, And she gave me a whole pile of them. So if maybe you could share some of those with the listeners, Freya. You know, for Um, instance, you've got Reverend uh, George Eastman. Oh, yes. The Parsonage is one of my favorite places to talk about because I had my experience there, but also it's one of the most haunted places. Oh, another one of those most haunted places. um. (laughs) Have you listened to that podcast, History Goes Bump? Because they say that that all the time (laughs) talking about that you definitely giggle (laughs) (laughs) see i told you Uh, anyway yeah they um (laughs) we are going to be coming to australia so i I don't get mad but i do get even (laughs) i'm joking i have my sharks in my river to protect me they come at my back jump in the river with the shark i i'd actually say it's the most haunted place on site because of all the spooky things that happened there reverend george eastman actually died in the upstairs bedroom the stairs were really difficult and i saw the stairs and they look pretty difficult i wouldn't like to go up those stairs they're pretty steep so his coffin was lowered by rope out of the window and obviously the good reverend was not treated as he should have been um because his because the coffin burst open and his body fell into the gutter ew, ew. <laughs> so and they think that he was haunting the place which um apparently was pretty odd because reverend george eastman was supposed to be quite a nice guy and most of the hauntings that go on there are not very nice at all like he was barely settled into the ground before people started reporting smelling rotten flesh mm. hearing unearthly moans and seeing like strange bright lights inside the parsonage so another like the re- the new reverend's family family was out and another member of the community like one of the officers saw all these lights come on in the come on in the parsonage so they thought oh they're home so he went over and to see them and they weren't there there was nobody in the house so mm. where all these lights Who come from on the lights? Still, it's really weird but the study also seems kind of prone to that because people look through the keyhole into the study and they've had reports of huge bright lights the entire study being lit up even though nobody's in there and nobody left a light on. The study seems pretty weird for that too. The guest bedroom has seemed pretty problematic because a guest was driven from the room by unexplained knocking. This was a guest in, 19, in like 
the 19th century. They don't have people staying there now. Okay. I was wondering about that. (laughs) Yeah. that, That would actually be pretty cool, I think. Says the girl who would won't go into a haunted act- house. Oh, yeah, so you wouldn't go in. So I was going to ask, would you actually stay in somewhere like that? I'm fine with going to places, but I don't think I could go. I could stay a night in a haunted house. I'd just be so creeped out. I have very overactive imagination. I've been told. Like I, yeah, last night I was trying to get to sleep, and all I could think about was the podcast I listened to yesterday. One of your podcasts I listened to yesterday. I think it was the one about Black Aggie. And I have a mortal fear of Bloody Mary. Oh. Like, I I, I can deal with other stuff. Like, that's fine. But, like, every time I go into a bathroom, I, I can't have a mirror. I have a TV in my room that doesn't actually work. But I have a TV in my room and I have to cover it every night because I don't like the reflection. I don't like anything like that. So that idea of that is pretty scary to me. So I don't think I'd do well. I I like researching ghosts and I like learning about the history of ghosts and stuff like that. And I like to think that I could stand up to a ghost and, you know, I'd be all like, yes, ghosts, stay in a haunted house, let's go. But I don't think I would. I think I'd run screaming. Well, you know, since we're on that topic, obviously, you're not real into the urban legend thing. I'm actually surprised that Bloody Mary has made it down that way. So you guys have that down there as well. Oh, yeah. I think the first time I actually heard about it was in Wales. But okay, um, yeah, but they still have it in Australia. I don't think it's as much of a of a sleepover thing. I think it's an urban legend like, oh, if you do this, because I never did it at a sleepover. So I I don't know, maybe because my friends weren't really, you know, supernaturally inclined mm-hmm. as I was. But it was still kind of a creepy story that we used to like creep out our friends. And I think in the same episode that you were talking about Bloody Mary, you talked about the babysitter, the yes. calling of the babysitter. Yeah. And... Oh, that was so creepy. And I just, uh, I think I, one of the books I read as a kid was like a babysitter. It was the same kind of thing. They've got, I think it was a Ghostbumps book. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. the Goosebumps yep. book? Yeah, I'm huh? sure I remember those. They were yeah, a little the- after our time. We are a bit older, but <laughs> <laughs> some of us are a lot older. Uh, no, they were really creepy books just kind of popped up in a library and nobody mm-hmm. knew how they did it. Like, how did they, these books pop up in the library in the same, like, manky condition all over the country? It was kind of like in that book, there was that. And I, I swear I stayed awake the entire night. And in the, in the middle of the night, actually, the phone rang. I think on that particular night that I read that book, the phone rang in the middle of the night. And I almost screamed. Oh. I was so terrified. But it was just like, it, it was nothing. It was just my parents getting a call in the middle of the night. For me, it was like, it's coming true. it's all coming true so i'm a pretty suspicious person now so uh, we have to ask do you believe in ghosts i believe in ghosts yeah i believe that there's something supernatural going on the amount i believe is kind of skeptical is kind of skeptical like Mm -hmm. you know i'm not going to put every creak and every rattle of a doorknob down to a ghost but i've read too much about stuff and i've felt too much stuff in um, Port Arthur and other places and my family have had a couple experiences that I can't just say oh it doesn't exist I just have to kind of go it could exist so you kind of have to respect it so what do you think a ghost might be because I mean we're, we're the same ways like what you're talking that we don't but what, what do you think a ghost might be do you have any ideas on or several ideas of what you think it might be I think a ghost kind of residual energy from someone i've heard a lot about you know demons and stuff like that and i don't think they're the same thing as ghosts but Mm -hmm. i think whatever energy you kind of 
you kind of project in life is going to kind of culminate in what you are in death. And I think the most spirits or most ghosts are just people who are kind of confused. Like, oh, I'm, if someone died tragically and they come back as a ghost, then they might be some, they might, the ghost just might be kind of confused. Oh, why am I here? What happened? Kind of thing. So they don't, they don't kind of, it sounds stupid, but they don't realize they're dead. Mm-hmm. I think sure. I heard about that theory a couple of years ago, and I think that's a pretty good theory for ghosts. Like they don't realize they're dead, so that's why they haunting and stuff. That, that's why they're haunting, and that kind of um, explains residual hauntings where they keep on doing the same thing over and over and over. If they don't realize they're dead, then obviously they're going to keep on doing the same thing over and over. They sure. stay around their same haunts because they're confused or they're lost or they're scared. As for evil, kind of evil or hauntings or ones that aren't good, then I guess that's pretty bad. And I guess there's some with evil intentions, but I think the most, for the most part, ghosts are just, you know, they're kind of confused, they're kind of scared, they want comfort, they want to stay around the same place. Sure. She's 17 years old, folks. Pretty, pretty <laughs> thinking there. And pretty well-spoken. Not pretty, very well-spoken. Well, and I know she writes really well, too. That's why she got my attention. <laughs> well, getting back to the hauntings at Port Arthur, the the commandant's house has something inside of it that is supposedly haunted. Oh, the nanny chair. I thought that was a pretty weird name. Yeah, I don't but... think I'd want to be nannied by that chair. Yeah, no. Um, the nanny chair is a, a rocking chair. How creepy. A rocking chair that supposedly rocks by itself and touches and like in the room where the where the chair was touches unwary visitors. And I think that's really creepy. But they still keep the chair around. They don't want to upset anybody. Yeah, yeah I, definitely. If I got touched, I'd be running screaming. <laughs> I would be a run, wet my pants and run screaming kind of girl. Yeah, I would do that definitely i would not be sticking around there <laughs> well you know something that would really creep you out the um what? they have the senior surgeon's house there and oh, they yeah. have the uh, dissection room what goes on there i actually went to the dissection room and i can tell you it's creepy it sounds um, like it. in that era they were still learning about the human body so they would cut up people after they were dead and you know kind of learn about their body and kind of take stuff out and put them in jars and whatever but the faces appear in the walls of the dissection room Uh, They had holes in the walls so that the servants could brush down ashes from the fireplace to catch the blood because there was always so much blood in that room Mm. that it kind of seeped onto the floors. So the servants would, you know, brush the ashes from the fireplace into these little holes, through these little holes down into the down to the room underneath the house and people's faces have been seen in there and they think that these faces are people who were dissected and you know they weren't respected in death or whatever so they're coming to haunt the place or something nobody wanted when we went in there nobody wanted to stand near the holes (laughs) nobody wanted to go there i don't blame them i wouldn't want to either one of the other accounts that i read uh, had to do with the isle of the dead And this is at Andrea Allison's website, which is paranormalstories.blogspot.com. We have a link to it in our show notes. And she wrote, The very location of Port Arthur Cemetery has its own paranormal reports. A prisoner named Mark Jeffrey, serving time for manslaughter, lived on the island in a little hut as the resident gravedigger. What a great job. (laughs) One morning, a signal fire caught the eye of the authorities and a boat was sent over to retrieve Jeffrey. So they must have thought, you know, he's having some issues. He returned to the mainland with an unbelievable tale. The night before, his hut had been shaken and rocked by an invisible force, and a fiery red glow had lit up the walls and surrounding ground. 
Upon investigation, he was confronted by a creature with eyes smoldering, horns erect, and encircled by sulfurous smoke. No one took his experience serious, but visitors have felt an oppressive atmosphere on the Isle of the Dead, and Freya said it doesn't feel very good over there. Yeah, well, you're surrounded by graves, so no wonder. Well, now, that particular apparition might have been a demon. That sounds a bit demonic (laughs) to me. Sulfurous smoke, horns, yeah. Glowing red eyes. <laughs> I think that I'd sounds be like very demonic. Bring the boat, bring the boat. I, you know what? I probably would have walked on water and gotten off that island. They were like, "Look, Jesus is a girl." <laughs> Get me off the island. No Don't kidding care about the sharks. Yeah, Diane know. would be running across the water with char- sharks chasing her. That makes a pretty comedic <laughs> kind of thing there. <laughs> I can just picture that. <laughs> that entire island is just creepy. So no wonder the devil was going to come anywhere because to that island. Okay, so um, Pete Clifford shared his personal story at the website castleofspirits.com about a tour he was on and something they saw. One of the fellow tours had left to use the restroom before this event occurred, and here's what happened. Quote, we had been there not that long, but long enough so that the guy would have been able to have rejoined the group. We were laughing and joking that a ghost had taken him when we saw someone at the end of the path, about 150 meters away, that had trees dotted on either side of it. The tour guide called out to him as we were in a dark spot that he may have spotted us. I had my video camera, with which I was able to see in the dark to some degree. And as I zoomed in on him, the figure walked behind a tree and stopped. We were all calling out and had no response. The guide then spoke on her walkie-talkie to see if it was another guide who may be playing a joke on us, but no one was near us. The guide then went down to see what it was, and she found no one there. She then rejoined the group, and we entered the building, looked around the place, and then finished our tour. After we went back, we found the gentleman sitting having a coffee, and of course, the first question was, So was that you? He looked at us like we were mad, and said that he had found the toilet and decided to head back to the main building and wait for us there. And our group were suddenly wondering who our visitor was, end quote. Dun, dun, dun. Ah, I I think that guy's pretty brave to go to the toilet by himself in that place. (laughs) Sometimes I think it's pretty brave to go to the toilet in any place by yourself. Well, and it had to have been night (laughs) because the guy who had the video camera said I was able to see in the dark to some degree. So it was at night that he's going to the toilet by himself. You better really have to go. No kidding. Dark, you know, old prison walls, everything. I would not be wandering away, I think, on my own. Well, as Freya said, that she believes in ghosts because she's had some experiences herself. And at this location, you did have an experience. So we would love to have you regale us with that. Uh, yeah, I had really creepy experience on the ghost tour. So it's actually so pretty now, good did ghost your, tour. So now, did you your class on. get to do the, the ghost tour? Yeah. Um, wow. That that's what I, I was just getting ready to ask the exact the same question. Trip. I'm like, what 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 school trip takes you on a ghost tour? That's so uh, that's really cool. Kudos it to your teachers. Great. On the, actually, on this school trip, we went to other places around around Tasmania, and we went to Sarah Island as well, in the middle of Tasmania, which is uh, another haunted location. Mm-hmm. So we kind of did a kind of ghost tour and school trip at the same time. It was pretty cool. We, we went to Port Arthur. We had a day in Port Arthur, just you know, wandering around. We went to the parsonage, and during the day, it was just fine. It was. It's a beautiful. It's a beautiful area. It's a beautiful kind of cottage. It kind of looks like it's it it, it, lo- it looks like your idea of a 
of a beautiful cottage in Australia. So it's got, you know, the beautiful veranda and everything, and it's got a lovely little garden path with a gate, with a little garden gate that's kind of an all latch. During the day, you know, we went in there. It was fine. We walked around. It was, you know, light was streaming in, and it was all, like, picturesque. But then at night, we went on the ghost tour, and the parsonage was the second stop on the ghost tour. I was near the front, in the middle, in the middle of my friends, not going to go by myself at night in this creepy old place. The guide was like, okay, we're going to go into the into the parsonage now. So I put my hand on the gate to open it, and I just felt this presence kind of holding me back. Mm-hmm. I didn't, like, it wasn't that I didn't want to go into the parsonage, even though it was pretty creepy, and probably, you know, subconsciously I didn't. It was like someone was actually telling me no. You can't come in here. I don't want you to come in here. It was like a presence kind of pushing me, wow. kind of not allowing me to go in. It, it, was, it wasn't It was bad or it wasn't good. I think it was just something telling me, no, mm. I don't want you to be in here. So I told, I, as a 12-year-old, you know, you, you, look, you look to your teacher and you go, it doesn't want us to go in there. And my teacher kind of looked at me and went, all right. They didn't listen to me. They all went inside and the guide kind of went inside, went inside too. But I was left out there with a teacher who was actually quite sympathetic. And he was like, I don't like the, I don't like the vibes around here either. So I understand. They spent 10 minutes in the house. And all that time I was looking at that house going, why don't you want me to come in there? Uh Thinking, what's the matter? I, I honestly thought that something was going to happen to them in there, but they came out unscathed and I just kind of forgot about it in that way that, you know, kids kind of do when something spooky happens. Part of me wonders if it wasn't necessarily something that was there that didn't want you to go in, that maybe it was something protecting you from going in. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Afterwards, I kind of thought, was it something in the house that didn't want me to go in? Because, you know, that house is notorious for kind of protect like kind of all of its all of its haunting it's kind of notorious for all of its hauntings at the time you know I thought oh it's the house maybe it was actually something around me I don't know Mm -hmm. that's possible it's very weird yeah it's very weird but our school uh, our group actually had another kind of spooky kind of experience even though we didn't have it technically at the place after we got back to school the next term we bought we brought in all of our photos so my teacher brought in photos and the other teachers brought in their photos one of my teachers I think it was my science teacher had a photo of a house and you couldn't remember which house but it was definitely a resident it wasn't a prison complex it was actually like a residence and in one of the windows was the side profile of a woman Mm. and her hands were kind of resting near her face kind of like she was praying or she was crying and you know we had no idea what to make of it there's there are stories about uh, what they call the Lady Blue. She was, I think, the accountant's wife, one of the accountant's wives. She died in childbirth, but she hangs around the parsonage or the accountant's house, and she likes to. She kind of likes to play with children. She mm. kind of comes out more with children. There was a story that we actually heard on the ghost tour about her coming out and saying hello to a little boy. And, you know, playing with a little boy and his parents were like, "Why? Did, like, who are you playing with? And she's like, oh, the lady here. The lady wants to play with me. <laughs> <laughs> so she's not, she's not, I don't think she's a, she's a malevolent, sure. um, a malevolent one, but she's, she's very interesting. And I don't know if we got her, if we got her in a photo or not, but I think it was quite odd and it was quite 
creepy for us to think about it afterwards. Sure, because of course she didn't see her at the time. She just showed up in the pictures later. Interesting. Yeah. Uh huh. That's why Diane sends me off to take pictures by myself. See if we get anything. (laughs) We never have. We pick up orbs every so often, but of course those can be dust or weird light and. You just never know what those. Yeah. It's kind of, you can catch up, bleh. you can catch anything on a camera. Sure. It seems like and anything can can be explained away on a camera. And that could have just been the camera or it could have just been the light. It's kind of like something that we've held on to and gone, yes, we definitely saw a ghost. Definitely yeah, There's a couple well, of pictures that I've seen that I've been pretty convinced they're the real deal. Yeah, because, yeah. I mean, there's some things that light can do and when you're looking at it and having to look at different angles and upside down and everything, but there's some that it's like, okay, there's something there and it doesn't really look like a shadow just being kind of weird or maybe just a shadow making eyes or something like that. It's definitely an outline. The entire site is pretty... They actually have on the front wall as you come into the, as you come into the building, they have a whole wall dedicated to pictures that people have sent in. They like, they like people to send in pictures of their kind of haunted experiences at the site. So, you know, there's some people who send in pictures of, you know, orbs and stuff like that. But there's other people who send in, you know, pictures of full-body apparitions and stuff like that. Um, So it's pretty spooky stuff. So it's kind of like you're kind of set up for the ghost tour as soon as you get onto the site. (laughs) But at the same time, it's hard not to be in that place. It's hard not to feel creepy. Well, we'll definitely have to put that on our bucket list because I said Australia's already there, but Tasmania just got higher up on the importance of something I want to see when we come down to that part of the world. Yeah, Australia is actually, um, I wouldn't say it's a hotbed for paranormal activity, but it's got more paranormal activity than you'd think. It's really cool. Yeah, well, I could see that since the whole country was built on the fact that that's where people sent their prisoners and the yeah. trauma and tragedy that happens around that. There's not a lot of reports of Aboriginal hauntings, but there are some who are not happy with the way that their land is being used. Um, sure. There's been, because there's been a lot more, you know, giving land back to the Aboriginals and saying sorry for what, you know, what has happened to them. I think there's been a lot more acceptance of that, especially in my school, we have and welcome to country and thank and thank you to the Aboriginal people whose land we're using, who inhabit the land that we're using. So it's it's interesting how our relation how the relationship between kind of I don't really want to say white Australia, but it is white Australia and Aboriginal Australia has kind of evolved in that way. And it's it I think it's kind of making things better, especially especially in that way with hauntings and stuff like that. I think the spirits are finally kind of settling down in that area. Oh good. I hope so anyway. Because after all they've been through, they deserve some peace, peace in exactly. the <laughs> mm-hmm. Port Arthur has nearly two centuries of documented history and tales, many of them haunted in nature. Do the spirits of former prisoners still roam the grounds? Can so many personal experiences just be hallucinations? Did Freya really feel something disturbing? That is for you to decide. Well, Freya, we want to thank you so much for joining us. This has been a real treat for us. Very much thank so. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, I'm looking forward to maybe in the future we'll be able to do something again because I know there's plenty of stuff going on down there. Yeah, we'll send, mm-hmm. send her out on mission so. works. We'll have all these secret <laughs> history goes bunch agents. <laughs> She's a secret agent for history goes bump in Australia. <laughs> Yeah, Got to actually, hunting. like it was pretty. It, it's pretty cool that you that you did this. That you, that you took the that, that you took the suggestion because 
it's it's a really cool place in Australia. Like you wouldn't think that it's so haunted, but it is. Yeah, well, it's just fascinating. All the stuff. Well, Freya, is there a way that you guys say goodbye in Australia, a special way? Nah. she's like no see you later so peace out (laughs) we're not gonna get a good day (laughs) good day i actually do italian in school so i always say ciao oh um or stuff like that so like and i don't uh, i i don't say it ironically i actually do say ciao a lot more now because i do italian stuff so i'm not an australian (laughs) I'm not an Australian. I just live there. <laughs> I'm an imposter, although I do have my Australian citizenship now. So okay, woo. So now yeah. they've said you're officially there, so they'll tax you and all kinds of good stuff. Then yeah, oh, it's gonna be great. <laughs> uh, thanks for okay. joining us. Okay, thank you. Thank you for having me on. We're glad you joined us for this one. I have been your host, Diane, and this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye bye. Have a spooky experience that occurred at an historic location? Want to give us feedback or have a suggestion for the show? Share it with us at historygoesbump at gmail.com.